When an emergency strikes, Preppy has you covered. Made in California, canvas and leather emergency kits packed with survival food, water, and first aid with optional emergency satellite communication. Go to Preppy.co. That's P-R-E-P-P-I dot C-O slash Filmweek. From the Moan Broadcast Center, it's Film Week. I'm Larry Mantle. This week, our critics review How to Train Your Dragon, The Hidden World. Greta from director Neil Jordan stars Isabel Huppert and Chloe Grace Moretz. The documentary Apollo 11 is in IMAX format. And we'll hear about The Wedding Guest, a film from India. Those and more coming your way today on Film Week. Wonderful to have you with us on Film Week. I'm Larry Mantle. Sure hope you enjoyed last week's presentation of our 17th Annual Academy Awards preview from the Theater at Ace Hotel downtown. This week, we're back to the movies released this week. And I'm joined by critics Leo Lowenstein, Charles Solomon, and Wade Major. We begin with the animated How to Train Your Dragon, The Hidden World. It's uh, written and directed by Dean uh, Deblois and uh, based on the series of How to Train Your Dragon books, rated PG. Charles, please start us on the latest uh, one of these films. Well, I think the Dragons movies are the best films DreamWorks has made. Uh, Dean Deblois is a very talented writer-director. They have just a greater emotional and artistic punch than uh, I think most of the other DreamWorks entries. Built into the structure of these films was the ending was going to have to separate Hiccup, the Jay Baruchel starting sort of ineptly hero, and Toothless, the dragon we've all you know grown to love. And I think Dean does that very well in this movie. Uh, I cried at the end. It is a little talky in places. Wow, you cried, Charles. Yes, well, Toothless is basically a great big black cat. So, um, but what I think is interesting is that Deblois is a very talent is very talented as a visual filmmaker. In the first film, Hiccup lost part of one leg in a fight with a, a monster dragon, and thereafter his prosthesis clicked into the saddle he had built for Toothless that created the fin to create to compensate for the one he'd lost. So there was a physical manifestation of their bond and that neither was complete without the other. Together, they were whole. Uh, at the end of this film, he's lost his prosthesis in another battle, and he goes to hop over to Toothless, and then um, Astrid comes up and supports him. And visually, this makes the point that now... She completes him. Those two are a unit. They will marry. They support each other. And it's done totally visually without calling attention to itself. But it's very effective storytelling that I think affects you very deeply. So I think this is a terrific film, and I'm happy to see it's doing so well. Lael, do you agree? I do agree, Larry. And this is actually one of my favorite kinds of movies to see because I went in thinking it was going to be awful. I thought, God, the third one in the series, you know, it's never a good thing when it's the third in the series. Although Toy Story seems well, okay, to that's, that's, that's Cars that Cars 3. Is, that is, is the exception, though. Yeah. You know, yeah. Toy Story is, no, I think, maybe the only exception. No, the and third. it's the only animated series you can compare to, to it. So I was 
pleasant. I was more than pleasantly surprised. I was absolutely thrilled because not only um, narratively, but visually, I feel like this advanced the series. Charles, tell me if you agree, but I thought that the the light that was reflecting off of the scales on the dragons was elevated in a way that it wasn't before. I don't think we saw that degree of detail in the early. No, the, um, the the software's gotten more sophisticated. The computers have gotten faster, and they didn't they didn't play with the lightning either. Right. So the lightning, the the it was a very tactile film. You 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 felt so much texture to it, and it's got romance. You've got Astrid and Hiccup's romance, which is moving forward, and then you've also got um, well, uh, Toothless finds a dragon mate and it's so it's so lovely and so beautiful i did actually end up tearing up at the end as well it, and it's got it it references everything from the original series and Cressida Cowell's wonderful books to you know stories that we've seen about giving if you love someone set them free and that kind of thing but i just thought it was it was so beautifully rendered um it, there's also the whole thing about about hiccup grappling with the legacy of his father so there's the weightiness of that there's kate blanchett's wonderful voice work it's so evocatively voiced completely from beginning to end. I was absolutely pleasantly surprised, and I think this may even be the best of the series of the Dragon movies. Might be. I, it's also, you mentioned Toothless Finding a Mate. There's a very funny sequence that entirely in mime where Hiccup is trying to explain to Toothless how to do a courting dance right. for the female dragon. Uh, and it's a real hoot. And he fails sort of miserably. Yes. But, but it, yeah, it was just, it was so good. I, I can't say enough how, uh, how a, surprised I was. What a wonderful way to start this week with yeah. an animated film. Both our critics uh, so uh, appreciative of the movie, How to Drain, Train Your Dragon, The Hidden World, rated PG, and it's in wide release. Uh, Greta, a drama from director Neil Jordan, he co-wrote the screenplay with Ray Wright, stars Isabelle Huppert and Chloe Grace Moretz, with Moretz playing Frances, a young woman who strikes up a friendship with Greta, an eccentric French piano teacher, that after she returns her lost handbag. But when Greta's behavior becomes erratic and obsessive, Frances realizes her new friend may not be what she seems. Chablis. May I? Mm. Bit like you. Promises a lot, then disappoints. Okay. I deserve better! Oh my god. I'm so sorry. You can't do this to me. To us. Are you a child? No, you're the child. You need someone to love. You need a mother to hold you. You love someone and you're afraid to love. We both know it's true. Don't you dare talk to me about my mother! Darling, don't you understand? She had to die. Uh, sorry we blew out your speaker with that shattered glass, <laughs> if not your ears. Wade, uh, Greta. I'm not going to be ignored. Uh, yeah. Put that glass down, Wade. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's that old school kind of 80s, 90s thriller, fatal attraction, single white female, the obsessive person taking all of those Hitchcockian vertigo and psycho themes up to the nth degree. We haven't seen that in a long time, and we haven't really seen Neil Jordan in a long time. You know, he kind of disappeared after the 90s. Um, is this Neil Jordan's best film? No. Is it Isabelle Huppert's best performance? No. But it's 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 a wonderful pastiche of all of those cliches in a movie that has a little bit of a of a tongue in cheek approach. Well, you to can it. hear it in that clip. You know, they know that they're riffing on these movies, and 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 I laughed here more than I was scared or, or, or suspense. But uh, I, I I had a lot of fun with this. Isabelle Huppert takes all those ice queens that she she did for Claude Chabrol for so many years, and just 
packs them together and just cranks it up to 11. And it is just so much fun to watch. It's re- it's really quite a lot of fun. Greta. I uh, wait. I you know I think you took it much more as a broad comedy <laughs> I than, than I did. Um, the audience that I saw it with wasn't necessarily taking it that way. They didn't really exactly know what to oh, make. They needed of it. me laughing I, in the back. I, I think they did. <laughs> need to hear that clip. <laughs> I I will agree with you that Uper uh, d- does a great sort of lampooning of all her Chabrol work, including not only Chabrol but the piano teacher oh, that for she sure, did, yeah. the Michael Haneke film, um, all, all of those Chabrol, La Ceremonie, all of those films where she was. She she explores. No one does better than Uper, I think, at exploring the outer reaches of sanity. Like just you know the and she and she sort of walks that line uh, very very well. I think oh, beautifully. The- I mean, she can stand still and stare at you. And give you the creeps. Yeah. And there are so few actors who can do that. She it, just, she's, she's mastered well, the art the, of it. There's the penguin in the wrong trousers. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> That's true. That's yeah. true. Right. And there's, there's a uh, strangers on a train. Is that, what was uh-huh. that? Farley Granger, which yeah. this uh, actually reminded me of in some ways. You're right. It was very sort of like late eighties, nineties, De Palma-esque. Uh, Even Francois Ozon a little bit like swimming pool has some oh, that of that. That was so much better. Yeah. Oh right. yeah. It's much better, but, but there's some of that here too. But I mean, Neil Jordan, I, I, I I really do expect a little bit more from his from his best work. If you remember the Crying Game, um, Stephen Ray is in this. By yes, the way. he is briefly in a, yeah. in a small kind of throwaway part in a not convincing situation at all. This movie really did strain its fair, credibility. It's important to point out too that it's tough to put these films together. This is this thing was shot in in New York and Ireland and Canada and has you know French money and Irish uh, film fund money and it's so hard to put these things together and you do feel that a little bit here. But that said, I still had a good time with so, it. So I liked Dupère. I didn't really care for Chloe Grace Moretz and that's and she sort of took me out of the film. I think she's a decent actress but she was she could not go one on one with Uber. Well, but who and, can? Well, exactly. <laughs> Touche. Touche. Greta, directed by Neil Jordan, who co-wrote it with Ray Wright, Isabel Uber, Chloe Grace Moretz star. It's rated R and the film in wide release. The IMAX documentary Apollo 11, directed by Todd Douglas Miller, Lale. Oh, this was... I would go so far as to say this movie is compulsory viewing for anyone who's interested in the space program or even just curious about what the moon landing was like. There is no surprise in what happens with the original moon landing. We know Neil Armstrong is the first guy to walk on the moon. We know what he says. We know how they get there. But this movie makes everything feel fresh and new. It is surprisingly uh, spare. It's done without narration, save for Walter Cronkite, giving us a little bit of narration at the beginning. But it just takes us through all the details, all the parts of what led up to uh, the Apollo 11 launch and and then landing. And it makes it come very much alive. It's important to mention there was archival footage that was found that has never before before been seen until this movie um and it's and it and it really brings it very very stunningly to life yeah they 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 do an extraordinary job of taking all of this archival material but editing it together in a narrative way, giving it form, giving it shape, giving it structure, and giving it drama as well. You know, I remember the moon landing because I was very, very, very little, and I remember my father saying, "Isn't it sad he'll never remember this moment?" 
And I remember thinking, <laughs> well, yeah, I will. And I remember you saying that. And, yeah. and watching this, it mm-hmm. absolutely brought it all back. It brought it back in just a, a flood of feelings. And it's, yeah. it's the emotion of it, what, it I, what I found so incredible. It's not just that it's a recreation. It's sort of, you know, here's history like you're watching something at school. You feel the suspense and the danger of it, how absolutely. really dangerous it was. Yeah. yeah. Charles. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm the third vote in favor of this. Um, Another detail that I liked is when they are illustrating things graphically, yeah. they use very, very simple animation that might have been done at that time. They don't go the Neil deGrasse Tyson pseudo everything super realistic. It looks in period. And two thoughts that uh, that I kept having throughout the film were, one, you see the uh, all the people at, at uh, Houston Control with these banks and banks and banks of computers. And you wonder, well, how many of those equals the iPhone I have in my pocket? Right, right. Uh, And the other thing was the way that this united the country, that everyone was excited by this and Mm -hmm. watching it and cared for those astronauts and their safety. And I found myself wondering, well, what would it take to bring the country back together mm-hmm. that, yeah, this, in the do. same way that that was such a meaningful moment that we all remember. Yeah, anyone and, alive at that time is going to remember it. I was 10 years old. Mm-hmm. And I was so amped up waiting for the landing. I had to go out in the street in front of my grandparents' house and throw a football around <laughs> because I just could, I couldn't sit still. Yeah, mm-hmm. It was so exciting. And then to come in and watch it, like you're saying, wait, that day for me is just seared in it my is. memory. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And and this will bring it back. Absolutely. And it's also really interesting to see it from a 21st century perspective where the spacesuits look so primitive Mm -hmm. and the banks of men are so so homogenized and and white. And And with their short sleeves, white shirts and And their crew cuts. And And their ashtrays. Oh, yes, (laughs) their ashtrays. But what what, I just want to reiterate Wade's point as well, that even though you know what's going to happen, it is incredibly suspenseful. You are sitting on the edge of your seat waiting to see if Neil Armstrong actually gets out and goes down there and you know i it's it is this is an excellent excellent film see it yeah. on a big screen if you can absolutely it 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 is remarkable to me how gifted filmmakers i think of paul greengrass as an example can take a story that you know the ending mm, of yeah. but through the art of storytelling make you feel like you're in that moment again and you suspend the disbelief of of the result you know is coming. That's, That's a tremendous gift in it, filmmaking. Yeah. And, and I, th- I think you're swept up with the emotions of the participants. You see the people at uh, at Mission Control watching so tensely. Are they going to be safe? Will this maneuver be completed? And you're with them. And you and you see, for instance, you also see Johnny Carson, who was there on site that day. Mm. You know, there there are people who show up in the background of some of the some of the footage too. And to your point, Larry, just I want to call out Matt Morton, the composer. I really, really thought the score made it come even more alive without being well. intrusive. Yes, without being mm. intrusive. Well, it was intrusive when I saw it. They had amped it up too much, but he they did the score only using instruments that were available then. It's wonderful. And uh, did you all see it in IMAX format? I did. No. Yes. You didn't? Okay. Uh, I, it was pseudo IMAX. Okay. Yeah, same here. Yeah, you uh, can. It is in select theaters in IMAX format right now. It goes into regular theaters in a week. Uh, so if you want to see it on a, a traditional aspect ratio and, and size. Apollo 11, the IMAX film directed by Todd Douglas Miller. It's rated G, uh, G and from our critics, it sounds like a must see. Also out this week, though, it didn't screen for critics. Tyler Perry's uh, Medea family funeral 
Tyler Perry stars with Cassie Davis. Uh, Mike Tyson is in the cast. And Tyler Perry, of course, writing and directing the PG-13 rated film. Anybody want to review it even though you haven't seen it? (laughs) (laughs) I've seen seen the trailers. (laughs) It's a Medea film. You know exactly what it's going to be. All right. uh, Coming up, we'll hear about uh, the, the thriller The Wedding Guest. Also, The Boy Who Harnessed the Wind and The Hole in the Ground, a horror film from Europe. You're listening to Film Week on 89.3 KPCC. Back with our critics in just a minute. We're just talking on Film Week about the Apollo 11 documentary film, My Great-Grandmother, who lived up to the time I was in college lived to be nearly 100. She came out the West in a covered wagon and watched the moon landing on on her television set. I mean, it's just e- extraordinary for that generation, you know, bookending um, the latter years of the 19th century all the way um, through the 1960s. Talk about an incredible series of technological developments. We continue on Film Week with our critics, Wade Major, Leo Lowenstein, and Charles Solomon. Next up is the thriller The Wedding Guest. The film uh, stars Dev Patel. It's written and directed by Michael Winterbottom. And uh, Wade, I, I know you happen to be Good friends with someone I'm, involved yeah, I'm here? Yeah, friends with one of the producers, which I, I didn't realize he was a producer until <laughs> his name came up at the beginning. So, uh, so yes, I, I'm, I, you know, I do not have objectivity on this entirely, but I still did really enjoy it. I love Winterbottom as a filmmaker in, in general. And uh, this is a pretty straightforward thriller. It takes place in India. Dev Patel playing a, uh, a, a, a kind of a, a heavy for a change, which is nice to see, uh, who goes to India on some kind of a, a, a very dark mission. And it turns out he's supposed to kidnap a woman who's set to be married. And uh, what happens after that, the revelations, that's where it really, really kind of starts to get interesting. Basically, it's double indemnity. Uh, It's double indemnity set in India against a modern backdrop. And it takes most of the same twists and turns. But uh, thank goodness I can tell my friend that I thoroughly enjoyed the (laughs) film. I really did. The Wedding Guest is rated R. You can see it at the Arclight in Hollywood, the landmark in West L.A. The Boy Who Harnessed the Wind, a drama that's written and directed by the actor uh, Chiwetel Ejiofor. It's his feature writing uh, debut as well as directing. Stars Maxwell Simba and Lily Banda. Lael. This is a... It, it's not as good as it should have been. And given the fact that we know the title tells exactly what happens in the movie, there's no suspense in it that now... If as we were talking about the Apollo 11 moon landing, we know what happens there. So it is possible to retain suspense, even though you know the outcome. Uh, nevertheless, it's a, an incredibly earnest and uh, basically well-directed film. Chiwetel Ejiofor in his directorial debut also stars in the film. This is based on the book by William Kamkawamba uh, about his being a 13-year-old boy in Malawi. And uh, they his community was suffering from cycles of endless drought and rains. And the harvest could never be properly uh, maintained because due to the intense variations in the in the climate and, and the weather and so forth. Um, and the, the intense 
intense poverty and the suffering that these people were were feeling and um, uh, the t- tobacco companies were coming in and threatening to take away their land and you know they're 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 just down to absolutely nothing and it's the ingenuity of this one little boy William who goes to the scrap heap and pulls out pieces of it and um, first puts together a very crude transistor radio and is able to um, to play that for the, the local boys and then bit by bit he figures out by taking himself to the library and teaching himself about engineering and so forth that if you take a piece of a bicycle and put some other parts together, he could create essentially a wind turbine. And he does this and, you know... He's 13 years old. He's 13 years old and it's a true story and it's it's a remarkable story and you got to give tremendous credit to his ingenuity and and his stick-to-itiveness. I just wish the movie had been... maybe a little more suspenseful and had a little more um, going for it. I want to also point out that uh, Alex Hunold, who was in the, uh, you know, he was the star of Free Solo, which won the the, uh, Documentary Award last week, is a big fan of the book, and he mentions it on his Instagram for his Hunold Foundation, which actually supports, um, in this case, solar energy in Malawi and places like that. So uh, it's it's certainly a worthy worthy film. How's the acting in it? The acting is is pretty good. I thought that uh, Four was t- terrific. He's always good, and the and the young man Maxwell Simba, who plays the lead character, is is very very credible. So it's it's all it's all good. You just already know how it turns out. We're talking about the boy who harnessed the wind. It's the feature directing and writing debut for Chibatel Ejiofor. Uh, he stars along with Maxwell Simba. The movie is unrated. It's at Landmark's Region Theater in Westwood and also streaming now on Netflix, The Boy Who Harnessed the Wind. The Hole in the Ground is a European horror film which stars Shauna Kerslake and James Quinn Markey. It's directed by Lee Cronin, uh, making his uh, feature debut. I'm not sure if it's a he, I'm sorry. Lee Cronin, uh, who's the uh, also the co-screenwriter with Steve Shields. Wade? Yeah, this is a Celtic horror, and I always kind of enjoy Celtic horror. It's, a, it's very similar to a film that we reviewed here on Film Week a few years ago called The Hallow, which was also Celtic horror, Irish-UK uh, co-production. This is Ireland, UK, and Belgium, and they, they, both of those films sort of deal with the same ancient Celtic lore, which is fairies in the woods, which are not fairies like Disney fairies. They're like horrible, demonic fairies that will snatch your children and replace them with changelings. And parents who begin to wonder, well, is that really my child? And and uh, Shauna Kerslake here is a, is a woman who begins to wonder after moving, you know, single mom relocates with her son and begins to wonder, you know, is this really my son or is this not my son? And of course, it's not your son. It's, it's evil changeling so she's got to figure out can I still rescue my son where is he and so forth and so on and uh it's a resume piece for for Cronin, uh, and it's a very effective resume piece. It ultimately doesn't really make a whole lot of sense, but it doesn't need to. The scares are there, the creeps are there, and it's actually quite a lot of fun to watch, even if it doesn't all tie together at the end. And it is a man, Lee Cronin. The Hole in the Ground is the film that he directed and co-wrote with Steve Shields. It's rated R at Lemley's NoHo Theater, North Hollywood. This Magnificent Cake, an animated comedy uh, that is uh, written and directed Directed by Emma de Swaff and Mark James Rules. Um, it's a feature writing and directing debut for both of them. Charles. Well, this is a Belgian film that had gotten a lot of attention on the festival circuit. And at 44 minutes, it's either a very long short or a very short feature. Um, the title comes from a statement of Leopold II of Belgium, who said he wanted a slice of this magnificent African cake. And in 1885, he 
engineered thing where he became not ruler, but owner of a huge swath of Central Africa, what's now the Democratic Republic of Congo. And he became fabulously wealthy from the rubber and ivory and gold and copper and so forth it produced. But millions of Congolese died under this singularly brutal regime that, when it was exposed in 1904, horrified even other European colonial powers. And so this is rather minimal. The the cloth puppets are different characters who sort of drift in to this colony and their casual cruelty is really kind of the theme of it. Like there's a horrible little child uh, who pushes a piano off its base and that falls and crushes uh, a pygmy who's working at the hotel who's been portrayed as a rather sympathetic character. The animation is rather minimal. They depend a lot on the lighting of this, that uh, when the cloth puppets have the light shift on them, they seem to change expression, which gives them kind of an an eerie... um, appearance and a, and a, a life to them that they might otherwise have uh, very strange film very different not for everyone but very interesting well it sounds like the subject matter could be quite disturbing uh, it I mean they don't actually depict um, people enslaved and having their hands cut off which is uh, what happened but it's still un- I would say unsettling very very much so this magnificent cake, Leo. I agree with Charles. It was disturbing and unsettling and very oddly kind of elliptical. Like it, it, it's just these little sort of vignettes or extracts and you don't really have much context for it. Uh, the the animation was really odd. I've, I can't think of another film that's done this with these felt puppets. They almost looked like those little apple, uh, little shrunken apple dolls that you would mm-hmm. make as a child. Um, so there is something sort of eerie about them and kind of... I don't of... know anything about these shrunken apple dolls. <laughs> <laughs> sounds thing. like a Celtic uh, <laughs> scary kind of... Uh-oh. <laughs> um, but, you know, I I thought it was it was weird. I can't say I would recommend it, but it was certainly interesting and, and very different. This Magnificent Cake is unrated. Uh, It's at Lemley's Glendale Theater. This Magnificent Cake uh, from writer-director Emma DeSwaff and Mark James Rules. St. Judy, biographical drama starring Michelle Monaghan. Sean Hanisch is the director. And Dimitri Portnoy uh, makes a writing debut here. Wade? So, uh, yeah, St. Judy is uh, the allegedly true story of Judy Wood, who is still very active immigration attorney and who at some point uh, in the last 15 years or so, I think this is early 2000s, uh, early to mid 2000s, prosecuted a case that changed some of the particulars of U.S. immigration law. And this is a dramatization of that case. It's very much in the vein of a lot of these legal uh, these legal dramas on the basis of sex was a little bit, you know, last year of that murder in the first. Some people might remember from about 20 some years ago uh, where you have an attorney that is, you know, determined to get this win this case, even if they have to give up their firm and give up their life and give up everything because it's all about, you know, justice and the client. And there is something reassuring about that, that, that these people exist and that they're willing to go to the mat for clients as opposed to just billable hours. That's a tried and true it film is. theme. It is. Uh, it's done a little bit heavy handed here. It's a it's a it's a little on the straight to video, maybe should be a TV movie kind of vein. Uh, but you know what? Uh, Michelle Monaghan is a wonderful actress. And even though everybody in here is kind of, you know, at, 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 at peak hysteria, Alfred Molina, Alfred Woodard, they're all kind of taking a paycheck and really 
it's it's pretty on the nose. But uh, despite that, it it has moments, and uh, the story of the woman who is the 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 uh, whose case this is, who's an an Afghan woman, it involves you know why she's trying to get her. Was she per- uh, persecuted by the Taliban, or is this just a family squabble? That actually is is quite interesting, just on the merits. Film is St. Judy, a distinguished cast, directed by Sean Hanish. It's rated PG-13 and in select theaters. Ruben Brandt Collector, a, a Hungarian animated film, written and directed by Milorad Kristic. Uh, Charles? This is a very odd film that divides people. They, generally, they either love it or they hate it. Um, I didn't have quite such strong feelings about it. I wasn't wild about it. It's an odd kind of psychological caper story uh, about a psychotherapist who has his patients stealing famous works of art for him. I think it tries to be live action a little too hard in places like these big elaborate chase scenes, uh, car chases through Paris. Um, What sets it apart is that the designs of the characters are kind of cubist looking with their faceted faces that don't quite fit together the way we would uh, expect them to. It's it's certainly like nothing else you've ever seen. Wait, <laughs> that's, a, that's a really <laughs> diplomatic way of putting it. Well, and we So we have a couple of animated films this yes. week that are very, very different than oh, yeah. usual. Wade, you saw it a while back. Yeah, it's not easy on the eyes. It's certainly not easy on my eyes. Uh, and I'm trying to be kind here because it is Hungarian and there is a, a, a tradition in Eastern European animation, particularly in, you know, in, in Czech animation to deal with very aggressive uh, style in, in very dark themes. It all kind of dovetails with Kafka and all the rest of those very depressing Eastern European writers. And so there is some of that here. There certainly does seem to be a nod to Kafka and Cubism and and, and that whole uh, yeah, school of, of aesthetics. Um, but that's and, and narratively, it's it's somewhat engaging. I was able to sort of get into a little bit, but it, visually it was very distracting to me. So if you can sort of get past the, the extreme style, the very aggressive style, which is a little bit hard to watch for an extended period of time, there there is something interesting going on. Ruben Brandt Collector is rated R. You can see it at Lemley's Monica Film Center Santa Monica, Lemley's Playhouse Pasadena, and the University Town Center Cinema in Irvine. Coming up, we'll hear what Charles thinks of Wrestle, a documentary which takes us to an Alabama high school, the 50th anniversary of The Wild Bunch. And we'll talk about the documentary, I shouldn't say documentaries, actually biographical drama Maplethorpe starring Matt Smith. Those and more movies are coming up right here on 89.3 KPECC. You're listening to Film Week. We'll be back very shortly. You've seen the movie San Andreas, right? Natalie, I'm going to need you to stay calm, honey. I've got some bad news for you. When the big one hits, the rock won't save you. Want to know how to get ready for the next major quake? I'm Jacob Margolis, science reporter and host of KPCC's new podcast, The Big One, your survival guide. Prepare yourself. Listen in Apple Podcasts. It's Film Week on 89.3 KPCC. I'm Larry Mantle with critics Charles Solomon, Leo Lowenstein, Wade Major. I just want to take a moment to thank the wonderful team 
that works on our daily program, Air Talk, that also is here with Film Week. Just such a terrific, talented, created, uh, creative and dedicated team, headed by our senior producer, Fiona Ng. Matt D'Angelo Antonio, not only Air Talk producer, but he's at the head of Film Week every week as well. Our producer, Natalie Chudnovsky, and helping us this week, Jacqueline Kim and Kaylee Wells. Our news apprentices um, do wonderful work, Itzi Quintanilla and Matt Bynum. And our engineer, who just, just doesn't miss a thing, Ethan Service. Well, let's continue with our film reviews with Wrestle, a documentary which takes us to Huntsville, Alabama's J.O. Johnson High School. The film is directed by Susanna Herbert and Lauren Belfer. Charles? Um, this is a very moving film. It's J.O. Johnson High School is one of the poorest and poorest performing schools in all of Alabama, which is saying something. Uh, you have four kids, three of them black, who are on the wrestling team. This is considered an unusual sport for African-Americans. Uh, it's an unusual sport even to have at a, a school this small and this poor. But their coach, you know, who's their social studies teacher, clearly believes in them and tries to make them see that by achieving in this individual sport, they can set a pattern of discipline and uh, achievement in their lives. And by keeping the... the film very closely focused on these four kids who are very different. They have different problems. One has ADD and a drug problem. Another is becoming a father. Uh, One is very well spoken and you feel really is going to go on to do something. But you come to care about these boys. You're following their matches, even if you know nothing about wrestling and what you get a point for, and I don't. Um, But you really become invested in these characters and realize just how little opportunity they have, both economically, educationally, socially. Uh, my only criticism is that they, it, it ends several times and they needed to find just, that's the end of our story. It's fairly obvious and, and should have cut it there. But um, a, a good documentary and one worth seeing. Wrestle is the film. It's unrated at Lemley's Monica Film Center, Santa Monica. The Wild Bunch celebrating its 50th anniversary with a special screening on Saturday at the Fine Arts Theater in Beverly Hills. Great cast of William Holden, Ernest Borgnine, Robert Ryan, Warren Oates, uh, Jaime Sanchez, pa- Sam Packenpaugh, of course, the director and co-writer, uh, Wade, the Wild Bunch. I, it's just incomparable. They they went and they gathered up every every male actor in Hollywood that looked like they had a head that was carved out of granite. Uh, <laughs> except, so for, except for Robert Mitchum and Lee Marvin. They're the only two that didn't wind up in this. But it's just these this grizzled bunch of guys out for a last score. It really is one of the first uh, revisionist westerns. Came two years on the, heel of Bonnie and, on the heels of Bonnie and Clyde, 67, 69. Those two films basically reinvented the way movies were edited in Hollywood right there in the late 60s. Uh, extraordinary movie. And in a in a small part, as one of the Mexican banditos, uh, Alfonso Arau, who would go on to yes, direct director. Uh, direct uh, White Water for Chocolate from his wife's novel. Arau is a, is a young, he's he's a young actor in this. Yeah, it's great. That's so funny. The Wild Bunch again at the Fine Arts Theater, Saturday only, 50th anniversary screening. And just let you know, uh, next week on Film Week, I interviewed W.K. Stratton, who's written uh, The Wild Bunch, Sam Peckinpah, A Revolution in Hollywood, and The Making of a Legendary Film, the book going behind the scenes on the making of the film, and uh, Sam Peckinpah's um, huge uh, legacy from The Making of the Wild Bunch. That's next week 
on Film Week. The biographical drama Maplethorpe tells the story of the controversial photographer Robert Maplethorpe. Matt Smith stars as uh, the photographer. Andy uh, Timoner uh, is the director and co-screenwriter. Lael? Well, for someone who was arguably one of the most important and controversial artists of the last century, of the latter part of that of the last century, this is a pretty prosaic and and boring and not very accomplished biopic. Uh, it 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 feels wooden. It feels the performances actually feel kind of stiff and weighty. Um, it it there's nothing original about it. It's, it comes alive a little bit when it shows his art and his photographs, but, you know, it, it really doesn't add anything to uh, his legacy at all. It, it does feature uh, a little bit about his relationship with Patti Smith. For those who didn't know about that, they were together before he uh, became more experimental. But uh, it, it, this film is Such not. an interesting way of putting it. Yes. <laughs> Talk about it. How to think how to phrase that. <laughs> well, That's very good. Family show. Uh, um, uh, this is appallingly bad. And it's kind of a green book moment. And this is a gay male icon being his story being retold by a presumably straight woman who has no great understanding of him, no understanding of his work, and no understanding of the gay urban milieu of the late seventies and eighties when Maplethorpe was living and working. You know, she, there's a lot of talk about, Oh, you get such black blacks in your photographs. Well, he went to Pratt. Did he study people like Rembrandt and Delatour and Caravaggio and learn about lighting through that? Dunno. Um, again, and, and it has dialogue that I would be embarrassed to put on the page when his, uh, Lover, patron, mentor is dying. He says, I've had three great loves in my life. My mother, art, and you. And it just goes <laughs> no, thank you really said speaker. That, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, it's, it's really unfortunate. It's a waste of Matt Smith. And it's a, it's a waste of Andy Timoner, too. I'm, I'm a big fan of Andy Timoner's documentaries, uh, particularly Cool It, which I think we, we covered on this show some years ago. Uh, as a narrative filmmaker, I think her, her skills are not quite where they necessarily need to be. That's it is, tactful, it, too. Yeah, thank you. Uh, <laughs> it, it, it confuses shocking and interesting. Just because something is shocking doesn't make it interesting. And what is interesting about Maplethorpe is sort of left by the side, the duality of his work, you know, the fact that he's one of the great portrait photographers of all time, but also it gave us such, you know, these shockingly aggressive sexual depictions of, uh, you know, S&M and so forth. That duality is sort of treated as a throwaway here. It's like, well, you know, he's Jekyll and Hyde. Well, it's it's more than that. Mabel Thorpe, the biographical dramas at the New Art in West Los Angeles. It's unrated. Climax, a French horror drama film written and directed by Gaspar Noé. Wade? Gaspar Noé. That's a suitable name. No way. That's what everyone should say. That's what everyone should say before subjecting what, you're, you're themselves to this. You're channeling Justin? Thank you. For, for now, I am. Uh, the king of the puns. You, you know, Ga- Gaspar Noé is, is uh, look, if you've seen one of his previous films you know what to expect and you know that you're probably either going to love it or hate it depending on where your tastes lie irreversible I to, being perhaps uh, the most famous I right i hate his films i mm. despise his films so i took one for the team how did you get the draw of having to see it this uh, week you know he i took the, i took one for the team and i sent an email out to these two and i warned them away from the rocks like a yeah. good lighthouse keeper how much did keeper. you pay him to go see it? Uh, <laughs> not enough you know the what can you say about a movie that starts with the end titles and then runs its opening credits halfway through well here's what you can say so you get about you, 
you get uh, 45 minutes of uh, dancers rehearsing some kind of postmodern dance and then talking in a really, really vulgar way. Then you run the opening credits, and then uh, for 45 minutes they realize that their sangria has been laced with LSD and they just start screaming and crying and torturing each other and taking their clothes off. And then it ends, and what a good time it is. <laughs> Climax <laughs> from Gaspar Noé. It's rated R at the Arclight Hollywood Touch Me Not uh, written and directed by Adina uh, Pintilli. It's an unrated Wade. Yeah, I took one for the team on this, too. Yeah, okay. uh, this uh, he's, he's nothing but bruises. Honestly, I watched these almost back-to-back, and I, I thought I was going to kill myself. I really did. The Touch Me Not Touch Me Not won the Berlin Film Festival last year, so obviously someone loves this movie. This, this was is... before Justin was on the jury. <laughs> yes, last year. Um, Justin would not have would never have given the award to this. The the this is in the vein of I am curious yellow and I am curious blue. The uh, the Vilgotsioman films that sort of changed all the censorship laws in the sixties. And uh, it's it is not a documentary. It's not a narrative film. It's kind of somewhere in between the two. And it's all about intimacy and sexuality. And and it goes to some rather grotesque extremes to be shocking. It tries to be provocative, but it ultimately is just really meaningless and rather meandering. And and uh, Adina Pintilli, the uh, the Romanian director, is very much in this Romanian school of being anti-everything formalist. It's kind of, you know, like Climax. It's very inspired by Godardian uh, re- rebelliousness. So but... you could see these two back to back. Oh, yeah, you, you, you could. <laughs> and uh, and, and touch, you would suffer. Touch Me Not is unrated at Lemley's Glendale Theater coming up. Even though the Oscars didn't pay tribute to his passing, we will. Stanley Don and the director, choreographer next. Good morning. Good morning. We've talked the whole night through. Good morning. Good morning to you. Good morning. Good morning. It's great to stay up late. Good morning. Good morning. It's one of the many catchy songs from what many consider the greatest American movie musical of all time, Singing in the Rain, directed by Stanley Donnan, teaming with Gene Kelly, the two of them so often working together, directing films or Donnan choreographing the movies. Stanley Donnan passed away just last week at the age of 94, uh, and he worked with Cary Grant, Frank Sinatra, Fred Astaire, so many others. Uh, truly remarkable talent. And in 1998, Donnan received an honorary Lifetime Achievement Oscar and accepted the award in a truly novel song and dance way. Tonight, words seem inadequate. In musicals, that's when we do a song. So, heaven, I'm in heaven. And my heart beats so that I can hardly speak And I seem to find the happiness I seek When we're out together dancing cheek to cheek He danced as well. It was... It was quite uh, quite a wonderful moment as you hear the audience applauding at the Oscars. With us to talk about the legacy of Stanley Donnan, Stephen M. Silverman, author of Dancing on the Ceiling, Stanley Donnan and His Movies. Thank you very much, Stephen, for, for being with us. The Dancing on the Ceiling, I, I love that reference because um, you had both, was it Astaire who did that, and then uh, Lionel Richie in the music video. 
both were directed by Stanley. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, looking back, I wish I, of course, had named the book Singing in the Rain. It would have been more commercial. <laughs> <laughs> so share with us. I, I love the story about how he got his start, uh, a Jewish boy in South Carolina feeling isolated and alone. And he goes to see, I think it was the first Fred Astaire uh, Ginger Rogers film. Yeah, right. Yeah, so share with us how that sparked what would be his, his life calling. Well, he, he just looked at it. He was mesmerized. His, his family wanted, you know, he was a little boy. He, he disappeared into the movie theater and didn't come out. They had to send the housekeeper to get him. And from that point on, you know, he was stuck. And he, he was given a, a movie camera at a very early age, and it basically became his best friend. And he was, you know, he could do tricks with the movie camera. He also took dancing lessons, which was, you know, real men didn't, real boys didn't do that. But he did, and at 16, his his father was a salesman. They had traveled to New York a lot. He was familiar with it. But at 16, he left this sleepy little town in South Carolina and went to New York. And he got a job in the chorus of Pal Joey. Which, of course, was a great show and featured uh, young uh, Gene Kelly. More than, well, featured Van Johnson. It starred Gene Kelly, a newcomer. And that, although Stanley said that isn't really how the relationship developed, uh, although he knew him. Gene then went to Hollywood. Stanley went into another musical called Best Foot Forward, and MGM announced it was going to make a movie version and basically hired... The New York cast did not hire Stanley. He went out on his own. I mean, this he was a true independent <laughs> uh, and got there and got it. He, you can see him in the movie. He, he's young. Um, and then Gene was needed at Columbia Pictures for CoverGirl. And, you know, there was Stanley who knew how to do tricks with the camera. And Gene Kelly did not want this to be just an ordinary musical. And Gene Kelly did a, a double exposure number, and that was done by the young Stanley Donnan, who continued his career. You know, the bulk of his career happened when he was very young. He was still in his 20s when he was making wow. these movies on the town, and uh, barely out of his 20s with Singing in the Rain and Seven Brides for Seven Brothers, which was his biggest hit. So it was, it was both a blessing and a curse that his career was so early on, but that, you know, do you, do you think that um, he didn't get his full due because of the association with Gene Kelly and the belief that he was he, that, you know, Kelly was uh, in large part responsible for the success of these early films? Yeah, but well, Gene Kelly's star name carried him and, uh, you know, and they were they were billed as co-directors on On the Town and Singing in the Rain. And then uh uh, it's always fair weather. Stanley always said, you know, it's it's impossible to collaborate. Uh, what you what it leads to is an argument in a relationship. <laughs> but if you want to analyze things, look at the movie Stanley directed on his own. Seven Brides for Seven Brothers, Funny Face, Charade, Indiscreet. Um, and then look at the movies Gene Kelly directed. Uh, Stanley's movies had real momentum. And, you know, that, that putting the camera in Gene's face when he's in Singing in the Rain, when he says, there's a smile on my face. I mean, for my money, I, you know, I know who the great director was. Gene Kelly's Hello, Dolly just sort of sits in mud. <laughs> That's being tactful. <laughs> Charles, you were going to uh, say something? Yeah. yeah. Now, did he also work with uh, Kelly and Hannah and Barbera on um, uh, 
Um, anchors away. Right. When, and they had to animate the characters to match uh, Kelly's live action dance. Right. They wanted Mickey Mouse. And Stanley said Walt Disney could not have been nicer. It was just wonderful. Took him on a tour of the studio. And then they presented their idea. They wanted Gene to dance with Mickey Mouse. And Walt Disney said, let me get this right. Mickey Mouse in an MGM musical? They said, yes, that's right. He said, no, Mickey, Mickey works for me, not, not Louie. <laughs> so they got Jerry Mouse. And that's how that happened. And Stanley worked on it, I, I think, when Kelly was in the service. No, I remember talking to Hannah and Barbara about that and how they had worked together to make those shots work because the the technology wasn't as advanced as it was, say, for Roger Rabbit. But it fuses into it. The characters fuse into a lovely number. Well, but the first draft, so to speak, the first version didn't work. They realized they forgot to give Jerry a shadow. Oops. There's, <laughs> there's a... There's a question. Nailed? There's a documentary. Yeah. Uh, I think it's called Stanley Don and You Just Do It, in which um, he is interviewed and he talks about how he got the idea to come up with the royal wedding sequence. Um, and, and I think I remember him saying something like, you know, I, I felt that someone would be so elated they would just feel like they were dancing on the ceiling. Isn't yeah, that right? Dan- you know, well, he also thought he idolized Fred Astaire. Mm-hmm. And he said, you know, and he, Fred Astaire always defied gravity. So basically, it was a matter of, let's go all the way. But also, the guy was so in love, you know, he could right. dance on the ceiling. And But they had to invent that, that, that whole set that could rotate and the camera that could rotate and everything, right? It was just... Exactly. It was, everything was nailed down except the picture of uh, the love interest, Sarah Churchill. Um, and that was magnetized, so he, Fred could, at the end, lift it. But the curtains were made of wood, mm. and uh, the whole thing moved in, you know, the camera. It's a remarkable uh, scene. Stephen M. Silverman, author of Dancing on the Ceiling, Stanley Donnan and his movies, that book written about 20 years ago. And Stephen, I hope you'll join us a little later this year for your new book, The Amusement Park. That would be fun to talk with you about that. It would be my absolute pleasure. It comes out in May. We'll look forward to that. The amusement park, 900 years of thrills and spills, and the dreamers and schemers who built them. It's Film Week on 89.3 KPCC. For our critics, I'm Larry Mantle, wishing you a wonderful weekend. John Horn will be hosting Film Week next week, as I'll be vacationing for next week. And Libby Dankman will be hosting Air Talk throughout the week as well. Have a great weekend.